You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Ronananian. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Computer flashing is just becoming more and more predominant. It is, it is just such a huge part of the repair process today. The Car Doctor. Dodge in Maryland. You're up next with The Car Doctor. How can I help? Yeah, you're living dangerously today. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. You know, if Walt from Hawaii calls, my day will be over. (laughs) Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, you are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. Here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. Whatever you've got going on, make your problem the Car Doctor's problem. Let's fix the car get it back out on the road. Busy week at the shop, as always, and a busy week here ahead, as I can, or a busy couple of two hours here ahead, as I can see, as uh, we are just jammed with all kinds of information and all kinds of requests and conversations. Last week's show, and I was going to do this, so let me do this now, because and, 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 it, it seemed to be a hot-button topic last week. Last week, if you recall, we were talking about stable fuel additive and and some of the issues with storing a vehicle uh, for the for, you know storage months for winter and what happens to the gasoline and how it changes and turns and boy, I'll tell you what it's it's been a while since we've seen something generate this much email and this many phone calls. Uh, this comes to us well. Let me tell you this, the backside of this email that Micah has sent us. Micah from Maine, he's a regular listener to the show here. Um, if you recall, Dodge from Maryland. Dodge, if you're out there today, buddy, you sure created a firestorm. Uh, Dodge from Maryland called up, and his suggestion was, why not use aviation gas, right? We were going to put aviation gas in the vehicle and use that for storage purposes. And, you know, instead of doing the stable, and then it's 100 octane and so forth. But as so many of you pointed out, and Dodge, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, again, if you're out there listening, but aviation fuel is leaded, and the problem is that leaded fuel in a modern vehicle, if it's if it is modern, is going to create problems with the catalytic converter. So that's an issue. Now I guess maybe Dodge might have been speaking in terms of an older car, a classic, and I suppose that's possible. But the problem is still finding that particular fuel. Where are you going to get it? Now, and I listen, I'm not a fan of ethanol. I've seen the damage that it does, and I, I understand all that. But it's just, you know, I, I want to make it clear. You can't just drive your, 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 your newer vehicle and have someone put aviation fuel in it or put it in via a gas can and think that it's going to be safe. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of nice, newer, modern-day muscle cars, if I can use the term, that, you know, the, the, the newer Mustangs, the newer, you know, Chrysler's got a bunch of really neat stuff, um, newer Corvettes. I'm sure a lot of cars that don't get driven in the winter months, depending upon where you are, what part of the world. And, you know, you've got to be aware of that. It's not a simple matter. Micah wrote in, hey, Ron, I listened to the show this week, 
I'm sorry, Dodge, I'm going to call him like I see him. And some crazy person called in to say, use aviation gas in your automobile. Well, that's what it said in the email, Mikey. I listened to the show this week, and some crazy person called in to say, use aviation gas in your automobile if you want alcohol-free fuel. You know, you got to say one thing. Car doctor listeners are, are very direct. I don't want to disparage the caller, but he is at a minimum misinformed. Aviation gas is designed specifically for aircraft engines, Continentals, and Lycomings, among others. Aviation gas is still a lead-filled gasoline. It's almost always tinted blue to distinguish it from lead-free gasolines. If put in a vehicle, it will destroy the catalytic converter if equipped, even though it's well over 100 octane, which never put any amount of aviation gas in a vehicle. Well, any vehicle that's equipped with emission controls and catalytic converters. Um, as a regular contributor to the Airplane Geeks podcast, I am well aware that the above information is correct. It's been a discussion item many times based on environmental activists making scenes over Avgas still containing lead. I wasn't sure if you were aware of this, and I thought it would be very important for your listeners to know that as a caller and giving very bad and dangerous information. Micah from Maine. Um, I was Micah. Now, and I'm going to comment on it from this perspective. So the hot rod, the 55 Chevy, is a non-catalytic converter. Oh, my God, I have a non-catalytic converter equipped vehicle? Yeah. I wouldn't run it. I wouldn't run Avgas in that either. The engine of that is designed to work on pump octane fuel, and it works very well. So I'm not sure if we need to run aviation gas like that. Um, I get it. I get what Dodge is trying to do. Listen, my whole conversation about this was simply in terms of storage. It's just easier to stop down at your local parts house, walk into an O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of stable fuel and, and, and gas additive, and it will do the job for probably 10 bucks. Not to mention, you know, because the problem becomes if you do, and this is this is the backside of it, if you put aviation fuel into a vehicle with a catalytic converter, sure, it'll store okay, but when you go to start it, you can't run leaded fuel through a cat. You're going you're gonna to shorten its life. You know, you can sit there and say, hey, Ron, it's only a gallon of fuel, or maybe it's two gallons of fuel. How much harm could it do? I don't know. Think about some of the hot rods today and some of the performance vehicles that have anywhere from four to six catalytic converters on it and um, how many oxygen sensors and some of the other mission controls and the cost of damaging these things, and it's just not worth it. Just just spend the 10 bucks, Buy a bottle of Stable. It's not hard, all right? Dodge, I don't think you're crazy. Micah does. I don't. I just want to be clear. So um, let's kick the garage doors open, and let's go over and talk to Charlie in Arizona, 91 Nissan pick-em-up truck. Charlie, welcome to the car, doctor, sir. How can I help Hi, yes, uh, th this pickup sat for a couple months. My neighbor had it, and he was driving it right before that, and he passed away, and he wanted me to get it running. So I, I couldn't get any fuel to it. Okay. And I've got fuel to it, but what happens is I checked under the, you know, the 10-amp the, the, the fuse for the fuel pump, and then I pulled the relay for the fuel pump. Right. And when I turn the key on, Ron, I'm getting one terminal with power, and if I jump it, it's not kicking that relay in, but if I jump it across, I'm kicking in the fuel pump and everything works. Right. So you're, you're I'm stumped. You're <laughs> well. So you're you're just jumpering the relay. This is a this is a pickup. What this is a, this is a Nissan. What? Uh, yeah, it's just a small one with a little four cylinder. Um, what? Yeah, what? What model was it? I'm trying to remember what a was was this, was this a D twenty one back in the day. Yeah, it's a 2400 motor, I believe, Ron. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, this this sort of rings a bell. So the issue becomes, what you're saying is, what you're saying is, you turn the key, you've got power there, but you've got no ground from the PCM to energize the fuel pump. 
yeah, like I say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too sharp at this. I'm not activating that relay. Right. You know, okay. To, yeah. So, do you have a wiring diagram on how that relay works? No, I don't. All right. Get one. So get one because I think what okay. you, I think what you're going to find is you've got a hot on one leg of the relay. And you're okay. going to have ground, and that ground circuit has to close to energize across the coil to energize the relay on the other side. All right. Now, okay. un unless unless you're not unless you're on the switched side of the relay and you're finding power there, and all you're doing is supplying power to the fuel pump. When you say you jumper that wiring, what are you doing? Just taking a spade terminal and jumping across it, hot to hot. Yes, sir. Okay. From so the hot, and then there's a pump, one that runs the pump. Right. So, so it sounds like you're on the you're on the switched side of the relay. In other words, a, a relay is like a light switch. All right. Right. So okay. you, you know we're going to have a hot and a ground, and either we're going to close the hot and the ground. Usually it's ground. Ground is safer for them to close, and it's going to energize the coil of the relay, pull it shut, and put power across both sides of the relay to run whatever it is you want to run. All right. Okay. So a typical relay, you'll have a hot, a hot, and the other two legs, one goes to the component being run, in this case the fuel pump, and the switch, which in this case is probably ground across the one hot to close the relay. So you've got to find okay. out what, you know, if you've only got one hot out of three possibilities, right? then we're missing something altogether. What are right. we missing and why? Yeah, and it was running, like I say, it sat for a couple months, so I thought, well, bad gas, but I, I changed the filter and did this and that, right. but I couldn't get the pump, and then finally I got the pump to work. But what I did notice, Ron, is the ignition switch is the key won't stay in it, it works, but it's loose. Is there any possible way that ignition switch could be causing this problem? Or Well, the ignition, if, if, if what you're saying is you can put the key in and then it, it comes out if, if it's in the running position? Yeah, I can pull the key right out like the tumblers are shot. You know, well, you no, know. as long as it turns, it sounds like the tumblers are worn out. Uh, you know, it, it just sounds like they're they're just, but it's not going to affect. You know, you should be able to, when you turn the key to the on position without even crank, it should prime the fuel pump. Right. It sends power. It's not, but it sends power to that relay, just to just that one terminal when I turn the switch on. When I turn the switch off, it cuts that power off. Okay. Let's find out how the other, let's find out how the other three legs of that relay work. And the, okay. best, the best way to do that is let's grab a wiring diagram and break it down. And if you need more information, give me a shout back next week. Okay. Where would I get something like that, Ron? Um, well, you know, you're going to have to look online. You're going to have to look for a, a local library. If you're really stuck, send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I'll see what I can dig up for you. Just send me the 17-digit VIN when you do it, and I'll, okay. see, I'll see what I can find. Boy, thank you much. All I right, just sir. kind of stumped on it, so I know it's old. But it's yeah, I mean, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm thinking about in the back of my mind, Charlie, is do you have, you know, the fact that it sat for a while, do you have a vi uh, are you a victim of animals? Did something That's chew what up? I really looked. That was my first thing. I yeah. crawled under. I looked for, you know, we have my pack rats. I looked for a wire being chewed somewhere, and I'm not finding anything. Yeah, I'm just, they, I'm just thinking about that. So that's why I say if we, if we know how the thing is supposed to work that we're trying to get to work, then, sure. we, then we can have a conversation of, okay, we know power comes from X and Y. Let's go look at X and Y and follow the path. And, yeah, to make it, that relay right, work. Right, exactly so. Is it chewed up or, or beat up somewhere along the way? So shoot me an email if you can't find anything. I'll see what I can dig up. Uh, 91 was, eh, was a little while ago, but I'm sure we've got something in the library. So 
Um, good luck to you, Charlie. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Don't call us. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Is that if I'm not alive or live? Which is it? I want to make sure that we're correct on the English uh, pronunciation there, Tom. Uh, Tom says alive. Alive or live? Which way does that work? I don't know. I have to go listen to it again, but we question whether you're alive at times. Well, I, 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 I could be not alive, but... Then the show would be much more boring than it is now. So think about who would miss me. You said that, yeah. not us. Well, I'm just trying to make it easy for you. So, by the way, Tom, um, it's it's yeah. early yet. You know, this is early October. Yeah. Take the mask off. Halloween doesn't happen for three weeks. I got him, Mikey. Let's go over and talk to Chris. You know what? <laughs> I was gonna. I was working on a Ronanian costume, and the cops told me in town that it was like a little too scary. Well. So. I, you know, how how hard could it be to walk around with a big star in your chest and a wrench in your hand? So, uh, whew, I got out of that one, folks. Let's go and talk to Chris in Wisconsin. Chris, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Good, after, good afternoon, Ron. Um, long-time listener, and I really appreciate uh, your knowledge on vehicles. So, Thank you. Turning to you for some advice on upgrading to a half-ton pickup, um, either Chevy or Ford with the 5.3 or the 5.0 V8 and the okay. six-speed. Okay. I'm looking at their, I don't want to go to the current generation because of. I've heard you talk several times about things are getting so computerized that it's hard for the weekend guy to do any work. So I'm going to try to stay in the 012 to the 014 year range. Okay. Um, based on that, uh, those parameters, you have any insight into the Ford motor tranny versus the Chevy tranny? I mean, they both seem to have six speeds, and they're both 5.3 or 5.0 motors. So, You know, in, those, in that generation, and I tell you to widen the parameter a little bit more, you know, the, the, the trick here is, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it like this, Chris, if, if, if you can find an 08, all right, a 2008 version of either one of these that's got lower mileage with less rust. I would take that over the 2012 or 14 because the 08 is even simpler yet. All right. Okay. And and I'm not saying you know not to buy a 12 if you find one that's you know what you're looking for, but you know if we're looking for simpler, older is simpler. All right. And it yeah. just it just and one of the nice things about an older vehicle is we've seen. The problems we know what breaks. We know you know how to fix it. We've seen the weird stuff by now. And an 08 would be 12, 13 years old, depending on how you want to split the calendar. So you know yeah. we, we've seen a lot of the failures. Now, the the backside of that is that you know that 08. You know maybe the Trans has got less mileage, but it is a little older. Seals are a little drier. Seals have been exposed to environment longer so will that trans have to come out sooner to be resealed or repaired or overhauled yeah it's possible yeah. but you know if i'm buying a 2012 vehicle for oh you know twenty thousand dollars and an 08 vehicle for twelve thousand dollars eight grand buys a lot of parts yeah and and and, and that's in the mix now 08 
is probably, and I'd have to look at the sevens, but I think it was eight. I think eight was where it stopped. On GM, 2008 is, I think, the first year they started putting the black vinyl around the brake lines. Uh, very important. It might have been okay. 07, too. I'd have to go back and look at it. But I remember specifically 08, they made a big deal out of it. Because, it, you know, the engine and the trans are important, but it's all the little stupid stuff that's going to fall off along the way. Not to say that brake lines are stupid. Uh, y you know, it's just you've got to look to see, uh, you know, what kind of shape are the brake lines in? What kind of shape is the fuel system in? You know, it, where where's the where are the pockets of rust? Pull the dipstick yeah. out. You know, does the dipstick of the engine have varnish on it? How much varnish? How burnt and fried does the oil look like it's been? A, a, a dipstick is is you know is the tell all. All right, it'll mm -hmm. it'll it'll tell you if the guy was a cheater or not. It'll tell you if the guy wasn't wasn't faithful to the car. If the oil wasn't changed on a regular basis, then you got to decide how much do you want to tolerate. What's there? Uh, you know, very important. Uh, the dipstick okay. tells a lot. Um, rust tells a lot. Um, okay. You know. Um, I would also, if you, you know, if you're buying this used, you know, you're, 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 you're walking around Wisconsin and you're buying this used from the guy, the next town over, ask him, do you have any, you know, receipts for the oil changes? You know, when he, when he did the oil changes, you know, ask him, you know, Hey, uh, listen, how often did you change the oil? Do you have any receipts to prove that? What weight oil did you use? And if the guy says to you, weight oil, does that matter? Just run. You know, it's, yep. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just that important, that critical. Uh, I, I think yeah. what you're doing is smart in a lot of, in a lot of ways, especially for a pickup truck, because at the end of the day, you know, a pickup truck, and if you're not looking for a glamour wagon, if you just want a, a nice working truck with air conditioning and, you know, power window seats, whatever, uh, you know, you don't need heated seats and heated cup holders in a pickup truck, then I think what you're doing makes sense. Um, if if I had my choice between the Ford and the and the and the Chevy, hard call. I like them both, and I, I see limited issues with both of them. It all really comes down to maintenance. So again, I I pay a little bit more for the older vehicle with less mileage, or a little less for the older vehicle with less mileage, knowing I might have to do more to it than the newer vehicle with higher mileage. Just you know, sometimes um, age comes into factor too. Call me back if you have any more issues, Chris. Thanks for the call. I'll be right back after this. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Don't go away. Ron and Andy, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Nice music, Mikey. I could get up and start dancing. You know, it's like a dancing kind of day. 855-560-9900. Let's go over and talk to uh, Gary. Let's go to Gary in Oregon. Oregon, Oregon, whatever. That side of the country. 2000 Buick LeSabre. Gary, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Hey, uh, glad to talk to you, Doc. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, I got a 2000 Buick. It's a development issue where driving down the road, highway speeds, it just dies on me, like uh, somebody turned the engine off. Okay. Goes to, to a stop. I go to restart it. It it starts, but it instantly dies. I had it towed to a, a dealership in nearby town. They put it on the scanner. Said it was a P zero one zero one. Well, yeah, they initially diagnosed it with a P sixteen twenty six. Right. Replaced it. Right, right. Replace the theft deterrent module. Right. P1626 is, is loss of signal from the ignition lock cylinder 
down to the PCM, and the vehicle thinks it's being stolen, and it'll shut itself off. Right, yeah, right. that's kind of what they wrote up when they did their assessment. Right. Charged me for the module, 500 and some dollars later. They say it's fixed. Drive it home. A week later, I'm driving it back to work, get about 50 miles down the road, and it does it again. Car have a tilt steering wheel? Yes, it does. Do you use it? Gingerly. Why? Not very often. Why gingerly? Oh, I don't know. Just I don't like to be hard on things. I hit the button, let okay. it plop up or whatever. Okay. So let me let me let me ask you a, a question, Gary. Any idea why they changed that module and not just bypassed it? I asked them about that, and they said you can't bypass the PK three. Mm, you have an ignition key. Your ignition key has a little black chip on the end, right? Uh, mine, mine is the. There's no like little resistor chip on the. The Kid. metal shank is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. So your 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 bypass is in the lock cylinder itself. Probably because when I look at the key, it's just got the little plastic uh, Buick symbol at the top of the okay. shank. Okay. I'm not going to disagree with them, but I'm going to question it because I remember bypassing. I don't think there's a system that can't be bypassed if you want to. And right. I would I would do a little online research to see, you know, does, has someone got a way around it? Because it's simply looking for a resistance value, uh, or at least right. that's that I believe that's what it was. And you know that's why it's one of the reasons I miss Radio Shack so much, uh, because it was <laughs> yeah. you know it was oh yeah we've got one of these with this resistance value and um, we'll just bypass it and whoosh, out the door. Because right. my concern is is the P zero one oh one. It's just too coincidental. Right, that's the that's the code. See, because I when it died again, I I had it towed to a, another shop on the way to work, and um, they ran their their scan on it. It's, uh, this is the independent shop. The first one was a dealership. Right, and they ca they came up with um, oh they they had a, a B one zero zero nine and a B two seven three four. Said they drove around for days and couldn't get it to act up. Right. And uh, they just gave me a sh uh, charge for the diagnostic, gave me some, you know, uh, go online to some, you know, uh, online help things. Basically, to, uh, told me the most common for this issue was the BCM. Well. And, yeah, and I could, you know, I can tell you a lot of things yeah. that are common for a 19-year-old vehicle. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I think before I went any further, on the assumption that you're not too worried about somebody stealing your 2000 Buick, which no. I kind of don't think so. Uh, no. You know, I think my next step would be, you know, here, here comes Google to the rescue, bypass 2000 Buick LeSabre um, anti-theft system. And, and see what okay. comes up. And I'd be willing to bet that there's someone out there. I actually, on the on the generation before that, I ran into this about five, six years ago where I had a, I was, for some reason, we were talking about it, and then I Google searched it. There was somebody out there selling a kit that you plug into the wiring harness, and it, it you know, it just, it just did the work. You didn't have to measure the resistor. You didn't have to do anything. It was, yeah. it was, it was kind of neat. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I saw that. I went on Google and some and where you you cut away the plastic at the top of the key and reveal the top of the shank, and there's like a there was like a, a resistor or something, a chip 
up in the top of the key behind the plastic. Well, that's so something. You, now that's, that you see, now that's something else too, right? That's that's something else. And and then there's this. Then there's the systems that right. They're having you take the chip out, and you can uh, glue it at the particular spot in the column, and that tricks the system into thinking that the key is always there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. That's what it was. And, and that's and the reason I ask about the tilt wheel is because my you know we saw a lot of these in my experience that if someone used the the tilt wheel and then even as the vehicle just got older the wires were very um frail they were very fragile right. and it was just it was these two thin white wires like almost like piano wire that came off the back of the lock cylinder that generated the resistance value signal going down the length of the column and then they made a right and went over to the uh PCM and the anti theft right. module so uh, you know yeah. it was it was I don't know. Listen, I think it should be law. After a vehicle is seven years old, wheel locks get thrown out and anti-theft systems get bypassed because I don't think anybody right. wants them anymore. It makes it a bigger right. headache than it's worth in the first place. I, right. I, you know, I, I just don't see it. But I would, I would resolve that first, and here's why. P0101 points towards a possible problem in the mass airflow sensor if it's equipped. Right. This is either going to be a MAF or a MAP car. If this is a mass right. airflow car, it points to possible problems in the mass airflow. If it's a map yeah. car, it points towards possible problems in the map. And, you know, what I would tell somebody to do is hook up a scan tool, bring up whatever PID we're chasing, mass or map, and, and, right. and graph it and take it for a ride. Does the graph look normal? Do we ever see it spike? And I would only watch one or two particular sensors, maybe three. Look at road speed, uh, that particular sensor, and engine RPM. And you know, does it glitch? Does it does it does it die out fast enough that way? Now it might be lab scope country, or we've got to hook up a lab scope to it. But before we bring right. out the heavy guns, I always try to go simple first. W one one thing to be aware of is that you know, my concern is if the vehicle stalls while it's running because of anti theft. I've seen I've seen engines on their way out. Uh, create and store a bunch of false codes that aren't necessarily accurate because they were just, mm -hmm. they were, you know, right. the, the computer was shut down improperly in, in, okay. in, in that sense of the word. So let's, let's get rid of, let's get rid of what we don't need first, right. if we can, and then we can kind of continue the argument and the conversation and the diagnosis from there. All right, sir. Uh, okay. All right. And just yeah. when I, uh, I had a question, when I, sometimes when I turn the key on, it does the bulb check, which I learned from listening to you. Right. Everything goes out except the light security stays on. Turn the key off, turn it back to run, and the light goes out, and I start the car. Yeah, see, I think is that, that... Is I, that an issue? Yeah, I still think there's a security fault here. Okay. Then yeah. I'll do what you say. I'll yeah, I still think... For and, my and, it's, and it's very important whenever you take it somewhere and they scan it for codes. When, when, when we're looking for a problem like this... You know, there's, there's. Let's, let's see how long you've been listening, Gary. Or how many types of code scans are there? There's what? There's OBD2, yeah. and then there's yeah. year, make, model, right? So, right. you know, if a shop walks out with OBD2 scan and they go, yeah, it's got a P0101, but they don't do a year, make, model scan, they right. may, they may not see some of the other things, and they won't see faults right. in other modules and so on. So, very important. We're chasing a headache like this. We want to scan all modules, not just OBD2. All right, kiddo. Okay. So, All right, thank you very much. You're very welcome, and uh, keep me posted. Let me know what happens, Gary, in Oregon. All right. Yes, sir. Take good care. I'm Ron Annie in the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Got a problem? Give us a call. We'll be back right after this.
Hey, folks, welcome back. We're on the Indian the Car Doctor. Uh, just to let you know that this segment of the Car Doctor is brought to you by Omnicraft. If you're in need of parts, check out Omnicraft. Omnicraft offers the most commonly used maintenance and light repair parts, including oil filters, brake pads and rotors, coated calipers, loaded struts, radiators, wheel hub assemblies, cabin and air filters, and the list goes on and on. You know, you've trusted Motocraft for decades. Now try Omnicraft. Omnicraft is backed by Ford. Omnicraft provides part solutions for non-Ford Lincoln vehicles. Omnicraft parts are available at FordParts.com. So, um, you know, we've used some Omnicraft and uh, works quite well. It's uh, it's it's worth taking a look at. Again, Omnicraft parts are available at FordParts.com. Uh, a recent article in the trades, this one uh, written by Sarah Kessler, uh, talked about the connected car of the future could kill off the local auto repair shop. And it's sort of an eye-opener. It, it talks about how the data that is being collected by vehicles is being used by the manufacturers to control, not necessarily control, but change the way you approach auto repair. Uh, the article starts out, when Jim Dykstra became part owner of his family's auto repair business in 1994, mechanics diagnosed car problems by looking under the hood. Sure, that's where it was happening, right? Everything was under the hood. Soon after that, car manufacturers started to add computer controls to vehicle steering wheels, airbags, brakes, windows, mirrors, and everything else. Dykstra's current Audi that he drives has around 75 computer modules in it. Employees at his three repair shops near Grand Rapids, Michigan, are more appropriately called technicians than mechanics. Technicians also start repairs by poking around the engine, not by poking around the engine, by, 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 by plugging a computer tool into what's known as the onboard diagnostics port, a cracker-sized opening often located under the dashboard that looks similar to the one you see on a computer monitor. And the story goes on to describe some of the basic you know, uh, code methods, code retrieval methods, and, and things like that. By 2020, it's predicted that 250 million connected cars will be on the road, about one in every five vehicles. Connected cars offer more elaborate, more than elaborate inf infotainment systems. They will also allow manufacturers to remotely monitor a vehicle's health. And this is where we start to think, will this affect the repair shop in your neighborhood? Okay. If the car companies can predict vehicle's health, predict what maintenance work and repair work it needs, and diagnose the problems, why would you need the guy in the corner garage? Because imagine the scenario, and they talk about it in this article. Uh, you know, you're driving along, and you happen to be near a dealership that has an open bay for an oil change, and all of a sudden it comes up that your vehicle needs an oil change. It's possible, and it's conceivable, the way it's going, that you're going to either hear your phone ring in your car, and it's going to be the manufacturer calling saying, hey, Mikey, your car is due for an oil change. Uh, Joe Smith Chevrolet right around the corner has an open bay, we can book the appointment for you. Would you like to stop in and get the oil changed? You know, after a while, some people, I think, I think loyalty is going to start to disappear because it's going to be that we've standardized auto repair to such a degree that, hey, an oil change is just an oil change. Let's just stop in and get an oil change. And, and that's the beginning of it. Now, one of the numbers here, and I, I, I thought I saw it, the article points out that the automotive aftermarket is a $300 billion-plus industry. You know, I'm always saying that the automotive aftermarket's a huge part of the American economy. Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about. So all of a sudden, you're going to put a dent in, and, and, and damage a $300 billion-plus industry. What are you going to do with all these people? Where are you going to you you know, take this? How are you going to deal with this there's an awful lot of people who work in this industry in the corner garage related to the corner garage and you know you and i have had this conversation car manufacturers the article continues have just begun to expand ways to 
business opportunities that could be built on connected vehicles and all the data that comes with them. GM's OnStar, for instance, tells customers, here you go, tells customers when they need an oil change or when their brake pads need to be switched. These recommendations are not based on the traditional, it's been 3,000 miles timeline, but upon sensors that monitor what's happening in the car and things like the climate of your area. Tesla says, although I don't know if I believe anything Tesla says they can do, because he's having a hard time just keeping cars on the road. Tesla says it can spot 90% of service repair issues remotely, so it can order parts and have them waiting for customers at its repair sensors, but there's even more to be done. Some worry that eventually services like GM's OnStar could share data they receive from connected cars with local dealers who offer repairs and maintenance, but they won't necessarily share this type of information with independent repair shops such as Dykstra's, numbering in the 180,000 more, yeah, 180,000 independent repair shops in the United States alone. That's 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 crazy, and you know this is also part of the comp. Uh, you know what? Let me pull over, take the pause because I I, I want to comment about this. We were talking about this last year. I remember it now. It's coming to uh, light in the way of this article. So, Ron and Anning, the Car Doctor, eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back, Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor. So we were talking about connected cars. So the problem is, and I had been to a seminar maybe a year, a year and a half ago, and we talked about it here on air. Is the connected car concept? The car knows when you gain weight. The car knows what position you put your seats in. The car clearly knows whether or not your seatbelt is connected. So, you know, and, and somebody said this, when at what point, and I've heard this conversation, you know, we can have cameras now that watch the road. When at what point does the camera watch you? How were you sitting in the seat? You know, the seatbelt was buckled. But were you sitting on the seatbelt buckled and sitting on top of the seatbelt? Or were you, you know, sitting, and I still see that sometimes, or were you sitting in the car properly with the seatbelt across, you know, your, your, your section there so when the accident happened you were securely belted in, properly belted in? And all of this data is then being relayed to the car companies and the manufacturers. But it's 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 even more than that. They're 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 looking at you know they can, <laughs> right? You ever you ever wonder how Google knows where you are, right? Like you ever think about how Google traffic works? I never really thought about it much until a couple of months back, and I said, how does it know that the next three miles of road, everybody's slowing down? And then I realized because everybody's carrying Google on their phones. And the phones are tracking where they are. So when the car slows down, the phone slows down. That's how they know there's traffic. Now, you ever notice how Google knows gee, where you ate? Honey, I smell Burger King on your breath. You're on a diet. I was never there. You know what? They go look on Google, Google Locator, unless you're, you know, it's, they'll, it'll tell you where you have been. When will that get relayed to the car companies? How far will the connected car go? And this is just the beginning, and that's the problem with this, that we're going to turn this into very big brotherish, very corporate, very watching over your shoulder just to sell you more stuff that you don't need. Some food for thought. The connected car, will it eliminate the independent repair business? Something to think about. Hey, looking up at the clock, it's time to go. Thanks for stopping by this hour. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.